We're going to read from Isaiah this morning. If you have a Bible, can you uh, open there to Isaiah chapter 2? And we're going to be spending these, uh, these weeks of Advent, and I'll say some more about Advent in general for those of you who are still maybe kind of getting familiar with that concept. We're going to spend these, these weeks of Advent, these four Sundays leading up to Christmas Sunday in in the book of Isaiah, and uh, he's been called a lot of things, but one thing is Isaiah has been known as is the prophet of hope, and uh, we're going to be thinking about hope in these days as we think about the vision that God gave to Isaiah of, of possibility, of hope, of of a future. So Isaiah chapter 2, let's stand together, can we? Just going to read five verses at the very beginning here. Isaiah chapter 2, verses 1 to 5. At the end, I'll say, this is the word of the Lord, and you can say, thanks be to God. This is a vision that Isaiah, son of Amos, saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem, In the last days, the mountain of the Lord's house will be the highest of all, the most important place on earth. It will be raised above the other hills, and people from all over the world will stream there to worship. People from many nations will come and say, Come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of Jacob's God. There he will teach us his ways, and we will walk in his paths. For the Lord's teaching will go out from Zion. His word will go out from Jerusalem. The Lord will mediate between nations and will settle international disputes. They will hammer their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation will no longer fight against nation, nor train for war anymore. Come, descendants of Jacob, let us walk in the light of the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You can be seated. How, uh, how fitting that we'd come out of, of uh, 1 John and thinking about living in the light and step right into these weeks of Advent where that is exactly what we want to continue to do in a very powerful way. And for Isaiah, even in these, these words, in this in this uh, vision that he has seen and that he speaks to us, to, to speak of walking in the light of the Lord. Well, it's Advent again, and we hung the, yeah, that's the right tense. We hung the greens. We hanged the greens. Is that the right word? I, I think you can say both, right? Um, we hung the greens last Sunday night. And uh, thanks to all of you who came out to help us do that. We got these trees up. It looks wonderful in here. Thank you for everyone who participated in that. And it, it's this, this, this season of Advent, these, these weeks leading up to Christmas, that the church historically and traditionally 
has, has set aside and set apart as a time for preparation. And uh, many of you spent long hours in your kitchen, perhaps uh, this Thursday morning or Wednesday night or whenever it was that you cooked your Thanksgiving meal and made sure your turkey was just right and the stuffing was just perfect and the rolls were rolled out and everything was just, just right. Others of you, you know, went out to McDonald's or somewhere else. But, but uh, some, many of you just you prepared for that meal and, and others of you had, had family and friends coming over and, and I know our family went down to my parents' house in Temecula for a couple of days and I know my mom prepares and gets the house ready and has to roll out uh, you know, extra mattresses and, and, and make extra room and, and bake extra cookies and roll out the cinnamon, all, all the things that she does to prepare. We, we, we've come through this season already at Thanksgiving time, perhaps. But now is a season where we prepare not just a meal, in fact, not a meal at all, but we prepare our hearts and we prepare ourselves, we prepare as a community for the coming of the Lord. And, and we know, even as I say that, that you, you look back at me and you say, uh, hello, the Lord has already come. And so why do you need to prepare again? Well, we need to prepare for the celebration of the Lord's coming at Christmas time. We need to remember the way that, that God has come in, in a baby, taking on flesh, making his dwelling among us. And we, we think in the Christian church that that is a, a really big deal, and it deserves at least four weeks of our time to celebrate and to remember how God came among us and to us as, as a baby. So we, we, we remember that, and we celebrate, and we prepare our hearts for celebrating that. But, but we also prepare ourselves in these days for other ways in which God comes to us. And we, we prepare ourselves to, to receive of Jesus, even as he, even as he comes to us in, in the moments of our lives that we live every day. As we, as we read in the written word, we, we receive the presence of the living word, Jesus, who makes himself known to us. As we're, as we're taught and led by the presence of the Holy Spirit, we we recognize and we prepare our hearts to, to receive from Jesus who is at work in ministering in and through his Holy Spirit as we interact and engage with one another within the body of, say it with me, Christ, the body of Christ, we prepare ourselves as well to receive from Jesus as we interact and engage with one another within this body. Advent is this time where we're, where we're not only tuned in to God's coming as a baby, but we're tuned into God's coming even in the moments of each and every day, in the normal moments, the, the interruptions, the interventions into the lives that we are leading. But finally, just to sort of dial us all in on this, it's also a time for the church to prepare ourselves for that time when, when Jesus will come again. And, and really one of the key themes that, that Advent has, has helped the church to remember and to proclaim that there will come a day, the Bible tells us, and Christians have believed for centuries, and Jesus said it himself, that he will come again in glory, and that he will set everything that is wrong to right, and he will fully restore the, God's creation, and he will perfect 
and heal and transform, wiping away every tear, creating every new joy and creating life. This will happen. And we look forward to that. We prepare ourselves. We think about even how we live now in the light of that day when Jesus will come again. His, what's known as his second advent. Advent is arrival, his coming. Jesus has come. Jesus is coming. Jesus will come again. This is what we celebrate at Advent time. It's a, it's a time of waiting, yes, but uh, it's not the kind of like doctor's office, passing the time, playing on my phone kind of waiting that we're talking about. Have you, have you been in a waiting room recently, by the way? It used to be that people would read magazines or maybe they'd discuss things together. If you, if you notice this, anytime anybody has just like a second to wait, what happens? The phone comes out. We start reading stuff. We're checking emails. I mean, there's, there's no, but this is not the kind of waiting that we're talking about. Even if that's, even if you're getting some good work done in your waiting on your phone, this is not that kind of waiting. This is a, this is a, this is a, a, an active waiting, not a passive waiting, an active waiting, a waiting and a watching. Uh, it's a time for waiting and thinking and for praying, for preparing and for for cultivating, sort of tending to the garden of our heart, if you will, cultivating our hearts and our lives as space for God to do his new thing. Advent is about God doing something new. Advent is about God interrupting our lives, just as he did by sending his son Jesus. Advent is a time for keeping our eyes open to look for and to see the ways that God is stirring and the ways that God is awakening something new in us and perhaps for us and even through us. What is it, as I've heard said before, that God might want to birth in us during this season of Advent? Just as he birthed his son Jesus through his servant Mary, what is it that God might want to so what is, what is it new that God might want to birth in and through us as we make ourselves available to him? Now, in particular, in these weeks, we're thinking about this idea that Advent is a season for cultivating our hope. Cultivating our hope in who God is and what it is that he is doing and will do. We, we remember God's promises that have been fulfilled in Jesus, and we look forward because of what he has done, we look forward to what he will do, the promises that have not yet been kept, but yet we, we look forward to them, whether that's a, a promise in our own individual life, a, a spiritual victory that we long for, a, a, a victory in the life of someone else that we're praying for, a, a breakthrough in our own lives in another fashion. This is a, a season we were, when we remember that our God is a faithful promise keeper. He kept his promises in sending Jesus, and he keeps his promises even still. So during Advent, we, we hold out hope that the God who entered into human history through his son Jesus is still entering into the world, even now, with his power and with his grace and with his love. One writer that I read this week put it like this. He said, Advent is a time for looking 
beyond our present dismay. Anybody have any present dismay? Just think, as I shared already just a few moments ago, this, this first layer of present dismay that we know very real to be. He says to look beyond our present dismay through the eyes of God to see what will be that is not yet. Look beyond this present dismay to see what will be that is not yet. This is what Advent calls us to do, an opportunity to consider our lives and our world afresh in the light of the good and gracious gifts that God is giving and the new things that God is doing. Now we're calling this Advent series Holding Out Hope. Holding out hope. And we're going to be looking again, as I said, at passages from Isaiah. And in particular, these, these visions of Isaiah, this prophet who, who in the midst of a really turbulent time in the nation of Israel in which he lived, was, was given these visions, these understandings, these insights, these words from the Lord that, that helped him to see and to proclaim to Israel that, that their present dismay was not all that there would ever be that God had plans in mind for those people. And so as we look at these, these words from the Lord to Isaiah, we want to see that same thing. We want to hear how the prophet does just this, how he holds out hope for God to act in the midst of some very dark and desperate circumstances. To hold out hope, literally, I looked it up, it means to still hope for something even though it doesn't seem very likely to happen. To hold out hope, to, to still believe, even though it doesn't seem very likely to happen. As in, uh, I sent in my application three weeks ago. They're probably not going to call me back, but I'm holding out hope. Some of you seniors in high school have sent out uh, college applications perhaps recently. You're holding out hope that you will be hearing back. I actually read these headlines the last couple of weeks. This one uh, from the sports page, Patriots holding out hope that Deion Lewis will be ready to face the Seahawks. I think Deion Lewis did play, if I'm not mistaken, but I also think the Seahawks beat the Patriots. Is that right? Two? Okay. All right. Um, so it didn't really help them. This one I found too. It said, holding out hope for a bigger raise or bonus in 2017. Don't. That's what the headline said. So um, it's kind of the you know, reverse. Hold out hope. When it don't hold out hope. Um, things don't look very good, but we won't stop hoping. One of my favorite examples of somebody who, 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 who demonstrated what it is to hold out hope uh, was that, that wonderful character from, from uh, um, theatrical history, Lloyd Christmas. Played by Jim Carrey in that masterpiece, Dumb and Dumber. Some of you uh, may have remembered this. In that conversation with his love interest, Mary Swanson, do you remember? It went something like this, Lloyd to Mary. What are the chances of a guy like you and a girl like me ending up together? Mary, not good. Lloyd, not good like one in a hundred. Mary, I'd say more like one in a million. Lloyd, let's say it together. So you're telling me there's a chance. Oh, 
so there's a chance. Not one in a one in a million. That, hey, it's all I needed. It's all I needed. I'm holding out hope. This is holding out hope at its extreme, uh, at its extreme, to believe, to have faith. Even when things don't look so hopeful, this is the sort of hope that we need to cultivate in our own hearts. This is a sort of, of, of confidence, of belief, of, of expectation that because we know God acted this way in the past, because he interrupted, he intervened, he came in, he entered, just like the sunshine breaking through the clouds, at a moment in history when he sent his son Jesus, he can do it and he will do it again. We cultivate this even as we read earlier, as Thomas read, when promises remain unfulfilled, when cries seem unheard, when disappointment prevails. We want to be the kind of people who hold out hope. But to hold out hope also, as a result of that, it might mean this. I didn't find this definition anywhere, but I think it means this as well. To hold out hope not only means to hold on when it doesn't look likely, but it means to just sort of to hold out hope for other people who don't have hope. That we need to be people who are so filled with the hope of God, who is the God of hope, that, that as Paul wrote in Romans, that we overflow with hope through the power of the Holy Spirit. And to those around us in our world, does anybody know anybody who needs a little bit of hope in your world, in the life in which you're living, in your circumstances, in your situations, in the lives in which we lead around these folks, that we would be people who can hold out the possibility of hope for those who have none. That, that we could be people who are, are voices of, of possibility. We are voices of, of, of opportunity. People who are offering words of encouragement. People who demonstrate an unwavering faith in who God is and what he's up to in the world. Think about that person again. But you know, just needs hope. Come to the end of a line, perhaps. They, or it seems like they've been at the end of the line for a long time. Maybe you could be that person who, because of the hope that you're holding out in your own heart, knowing that God can act and will, that you can be that person who holds out hope for them. The words that we've read from Isaiah chapter 2 this morning are, are said there at the very beginning to be a vision that Isaiah saw. A, a, a vision that God gave to him concerning Judah and Jerusalem. Concerning not only the physical space of Judah and Jerusalem, the holy city of God, but concerning the people of God who inhabited those spaces as well. It's an act really of, of what we see and what's referred to among scholars as, a, as an act of prophetic imagination it doesn't mean that Isaiah was sort of imagining this or making this up, but, but as God inspired him and spoke to him and showed him this vision, Isaiah is imagining a new possibility. I think Aaron, a few weeks ago in his message in 1 John, sort of, from 1 John, sort of uh, 
reiterated a lot of what John had been saying by, by leading us through a, a list of imagine, imagine a life, imagine a world, imagine a community, imagine this kind of life that God longs for his people to live out. And that is what Isaiah is doing. He's wanting the people of God to imagine that what has been does not need to be, that what uh, the, the, their current dismay is not what God longs for and desires for them. Some have compared some of Isaiah's uh, visions or his speeches, really, to Martin Luther King Jr.'s uh, I Have a Dream speech. Um, Dr. King looked forward to and painted a picture of a day that would be drastically different than his present reality, even from our present reality, unfortunately. He dreamed of racial equality and so much more even. And Isaiah speaks here of restoration, a, a restoration of God's people, a, res, a restoration of God's city, of God's presence in the world. It's important to know a little bit about the context and we didn't read before and after. Really, we didn't read before and after because it's, it's terribly discouraging and... Um, like really sad and uh, um, just deflating. It be, wouldn't be bad for you to go ahead and read at some point, though, just to be reminded of what it is to get the full context. I'll just give you some of the, the lowlights from the before and after. Isaiah chapter 1. If you want to look back there, you can look particularly at verses 21 through 25 if you're looking at your, at your, uh, at your Bible. This, this holy... This, quote-unquote, holy city of Jerusalem, this, this nation, this people of God accused here of murder and rebellion, injustice and corruption. Uh, the verses immediately following verse 5 there in chapter 2 aren't any better. Uh, Isaiah claims there that God's people have completely forsaken God's ways not making this up, you can, you can look at it. He's clear that the people just deserve all of the judgment that God gives them. Uh, they, they deserve all of the destruction, all of the humiliation that they might experience. It's such, I mean, no one likes to have their bad qualities listed, right? I mean, no one does. I, I don't like it. You know, no one likes to just... Be reminded of how bad you are and, and the mistakes you've, making, you've made or, the, or the, the decisions that you've made. But this is what Isaiah is doing. And surely, I can just imagine the, the people of God. I don't know what you are like when you receive criticism, but, or, or even if it's justified or unjustified, but you just, I mean, you just kind of shrink underneath it a little bit, at least that's my experience. It's like, ooh, ooh, another one, you know, body blow, body blow. And, and you can just imagine, if we were to read those passages, if we were to read those verses from Isaiah 1 and uh, following 2-5, just the, the people of God just experienced this great, this great disappointment in who they had been, this great uh, concern about what laid ahead for them. It, it wasn't pretty, cringing and cowering under this judgment of God. It's into that context, then, that we have to read these verses 
1 through 5 of chapter 2. Into this note of, of desperation and despair and rebellion, into these, this context comes this, this refreshing promise. And if you have your Bible, you might just be looking back at it. This refreshing, this, this oasis, in a sense, in the midst of and in spite of the unfaithfulness and the rebellion of, of Israel. For here, in this vision that Isaiah has seen, he sees a, a new future. He sees a, a new hope. He sees a, a possibility. He sees, he sees hope. He's holding out hope. He, here, Isaiah speaks of a, of a, of a plan of, of redemption, of restoration, of possibility for God's people. They will not be destroyed, according now to this vision. They will not be completely wiped out, ultimately, in the end. God, he says, is gracious enough. He is loving enough. He is powerful enough to offer them and to provide for them a new way forward out of the mess into which they have gotten themselves. Amen and amen. There will be some refining. There will be some correcting. But no longer will evil be the way of God's people. Justice and righteousness instead will reign and will take its place. There's hope. There's hope for a better, a better day. And, and there's hope in that better day for a, a better way of living as the people of God. Isaiah wants them to see this. So he calls them, he tells them that the mountain of the Lord's house will be the highest of all. It's, it's funny because really the mount on which the temple in Jerusalem was built was, is and was not very tall. It wasn't a very grand mountain at all. And yet Isaiah is saying it'll be the tallest of them all, the most supreme, the most attractive. It'll be the place, it'll be the most important place on all the earth. This will be the place where many nations, Isaiah says, will come. They'll stream to this place. This place in Jerusalem that is now filled with destruction and sin and rebellion, this place will be the place where the nations of the world stream to come and to worship the God of Jacob. This new path, this new way that he's, he's drawing out for them in this vision will include all the nations. Now the people of the world will be drawn to God. It's not just a, a vision for the people of Israel anymore. It's not just sort of a, an insider's encouragement. It's just not a, you know, a halftime pep talk for the, for the inside crew. It's a, it's a message for the whole world, a reminder to them that this, this God will act in such a way that the entire world, the nations will stream to worship him. Uh, here's the power of God. We see it coming through in this vision, reaching beyond his covenant people. These folks will want to walk in God's ways, he says. These these nations will come to worship him, and they'll want to be taught by him. They'll want to be instructed by his ways. They'll want to be shaped by his presence. They'll want all of God that they can get. What a picture Isaiah is painting for them and for us 
of what is still to come. They'll delight not only in his presence, but in his purposes for them and for the world. And then this amazing picture of God settling disputes between the nations. I loved how it said that. The Lord will mediate between nations and will settle international disputes. God for president. Amen. You talk about an international and a domestic policy. I like what he's got in mind. This is the vision, and it's one that's so real to us in the world in which we live of of fear and, and, and war and violence that is all around us. Isaiah is painting this picture even for us of that day when there will be peace beyond comprehension, when God will settle disputes and, and the nations will learn peace and the nations will practice peace and these instruments or implements of war, swords and spears, they'll be beaten down into agricultural Tools, did you notice that? And that which once had caused death and destruction now will bring about life and hope and community and meaning. This is the kind of world, the kind of future in the midst of their devastation that Isaiah is painting. This picture of something new. This picture of God interrupting the brokenness with his healing, and with his wholeness. God didn't destroy Jerusalem. He didn't destroy the city. He let them see the world in these moments through his eyes. The words of Isaiah, he's allowing the people to see the world through God's eyes, that it can be a place and will be a place of peace and hope, a place where God is reaching to all people, a place that is different and new. And then this little addendum, it seems like. In fact, in my Bible, it's on into the next section. I don't know how yours is broken up. This little addendum, though, after, after showing them what it is that he will do and talking to them about all these nations who will come and who will long for the Lord's instruction and about how all these nations will come before and submit themselves to the Lord's direction and live in peace. He ends with this closing note of admonition, speaking to the people of the covenant, come house of Jacob, come descendants of Jacob, let us walk in the light of the Lord. And you almost wonder if after seeing and and hearing from Isaiah about what it is that God would do and what he will do for all those other nations, after observing the peaceful ways of the Gentile people responding to their God, Jerusalem now, the people of God, Sensing that, wait a second, that needs to be us. First and foremost, let us respond to the invitation to walk in the light. This, friends, is the hope of Advent. This is the promise of Advent. The hope, because it's been done before in Jesus, that God can and will do it again in the midst not only of Jerusalem's devastation and mess, but in the midst of our own world and in the midst of our own lives, 
that God can create a better day. That God can create a better way. The hope that all of our collective evil, all of our collective sin, not just in this room but in this world, are not the way that life will continue to be. A vision of how life can be better and how the faithful can live into that holiness, into that walking in the light. The good news in all of this is that God is always beckoning. God is always calling. God is always inviting, asking, calling us to respond. This God of Jacob is calling all the nations to worship him. We see it in this text. But he's calling in particular to our context, the people of God, in a new and a fresh way to walk in the light of the Lord. He's still reaching with love and with grace, calling each of us to learn his ways and to walk in his paths. God's grace is interrupting. God's grace is intervening. May it be so for us this Advent season. We're going to celebrate the Lord's Supper today and every Sunday throughout Advent over the next four Sundays. And so this morning as we come and receive of the bread and the cup, I want us to particularly be mindful of just what it is that God has done for us in sending of his son. This one who would die and be raised again is this one who entered into humanity, who took on flesh as a humble baby. Let's remember that this one that we celebrate during the Christmas season is this one who would go on to live and to die for us. But let's also remember that as we take and as we eat and drink this morning that, that, God, is, that God is interrupting our present reality. That God wants to intervene in whatever is the dismay of your life right now. That God wants to, and let this be a stark reminder, just uh, step into your life and minister to you with, with healing and to minister to you with hope. And he provides that very hope through the body and blood of Jesus. And so as we eat and as we drink, we remember, but we also look forward. And we think about how God is helping us even now and sustaining us as we walk in the light that he is giving us. I want to invite our worship team and our servers to come on up and... uh, Let's pray together as they come. You guys can come right here and I'll serve you first. Thank you, Lord, so much for this season. Thank you for this opportunity that we have to hold out hope. Thank you that uh, it's in this season where we can just be particularly reminded of your desire to to intervene, to to interrupt the, the status quo of of our lives and of our world with your presence, with your grace, and with your power. And may we, may we not be dismayed as we look at 
the, the first level, perhaps, of those things all around us, knowing that what will be is not yet seen. That, that this picture that, that, that you painted for Isaiah and he for the people of God is, is one that we can hear and receive as well today, knowing that, that this work of restoration has begun in Jesus. That Jesus, in his coming, has brought new hope and new life and new opportunity, has brought the kingdom among us. And as we follow him and live for him, we are working for the kingdom and we will one day see it in its complete fulfillment. We thank you for the way that you have come and are coming and we hold out hope that you will continue to do that in our lives and in our world. And so today as we come to the table, may we both remember what it is that you have done, Lord, as we think about your faithfulness in the giving of your Son, Jesus Christ. And may we look forward to how you will continue to be faithful in sustaining and strengthening us as you invite us and walk with us in the light of the Lord. We remember Jesus was on the night that you were betrayed, that you took the bread and you broke it and you passed it to your disciples and you said, this is my body broken for you. Eat of it. And as you do, remember me. And then in the same way, you took the cup and you, 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 you passed it to them and you, you, you reminded them that this was your the symbol of your blood that was to be shed for them for the forgiveness of their sins and that they were to remember you as they drank of it. May we this morning, oh God, as we receive these, these emblems of your body and your blood, may we both remember and look forward to all that you've, back to all that you've done and forward to all that you will do with great hope and with great confidence in you. We love you. Lord, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you for this season. We give ourselves to you now. Fill our hearts with your presence as we seek after you in worship. We pray this in Jesus' name.